Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. Coming up on Gamers Week podcast. If you got rid of Call of Duty altogether and you didn't have it anymore, you're still making eight billion dollars more right than than xbox but still you crush your competition you don't just barely win you grind them into a fine powder you take them in your hand you overlook them on the sea and just go and blow them (laughs) into nothing and that's what sony's trying to do here i'm just envisioning like the head of playstation uh sitting there and like in front of a board meeting and they're like you know what what should we do and he's like Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of Phil Spencer. (laughs) (laughs) Hear the lamentation of Phil Spencer. Yeah, RGB is a huge wuss, so he should always be pink. <laughs> that is not what pink means anymore. Lots of men wear pink. Right. I'm wearing pink striped shirt or shorts right now. See? Manly men wear that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, they're they're actually they're candy striped shorts. They're white and You're not and helping. Pink <laughs> with my long um Ninja Turtle socks. <laughs> so See? How much more manly could you possibly get? <laughs> All right, kids, you ready to do this? Yep, let's do it. You All guys right, got backups it. going before we get started? Yes. Literally just hit record. Okay. Literally. Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, the worst, and the weirdest headlines of the past week of the video game industry. No pauses necessary. My name is Ryan, <laughs> aka Retro Gamers, and this is episode 79. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, 2023, and I have two fine and excellent co-hosts with me today. Our first one is currently recording from the bushes at Doug Bowser's house to approach him about why she was not picked to attend the <laughs> Nintendo Live. Blue, how you doing? Uh, I may whisper from time to time if the police come looking. They've been driving in the area, but they haven't seen me yet. <laughs> uh, Blue is part ninja as well, whether right, you, you right. heard that or not. <laughs> <laughs> and next up is a gentleman whose favorite websites include the Facebook, the Google, the YouTube, the Pornhub, and the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> Donnie G. Donnie, how you doing today? 
did 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 you re-listen back to it? Because I didn't get a chance to listen to the. Oh, you should listen to the uncut. Yeah, you should listen. <laughs> Take care of it. You only need to spend about thirty seconds of the uncut, and you'll you'll pick that up. <laughs> okay. I got you, bro. Two days ago. Which is normal for me. Sunday morning, I wake up, I scroll the Facebook, the Facebook, the Facebook, the Facebook. (laughs) 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 All right. So without further ado, why don't we jump into our reviews, reactions, and requests for this week? The Kind Spreader says, congratulations to the giveaway winner, and I love your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Next up is from Real Sergeant Tom. He said, the Spaceball skit was top notch. I was not here to listen to it live, but man, Donnie, great job. Thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? And last up for Mr. Coin Laundry said, what a great episode. And at Gamers Look at 40 was a fantastic guest host. I completely agree. And it was great to have uh, an adjunct substitute teacher for Gaming History 101. So <laughs> great job, Bill. Absolutely. And now it's time for the... Hello? What's your favorite scary video game? (laughs) I knew it! I knew it! You have to have a favorite. You can't vote in the very important poll if you don't have a favorite. Mmm, Visage. You know, that survival horror game where you explore that creepy house and try not to go insane? I was going to vote in the very important poll, but Visage isn't one of the choices. You could just vote other. Oh, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't like voting other. Don't hang up on me. (laughs) <laughs> yes listen you little bitch if you don't vote in the very important poll I'll put you like a fish understand is, is this some kind of a joke more of a game really here's how we play I ask a question if you get it right you don't have to vote in the very important poll it's an easy category video game trivia Oh, sh- Please don't do this. <laughs> Name the clown and twisted metal. Sweet Tooth. It was Sweet Tooth. I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. No, it's not. I played that goddamn game 20 times. It was Sweet Tooth. <laughs> you should know Sweet Tooth is the name of the car. The clown's name is Needles Kane. Well done. Come on, man. How are we going to top that? <laughs> You're not. You should just concede victory with me now. Nope. Screw that. I will never give up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy to know that I would, in fact, not be killed by the killer. He'd be like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I think I'd be dead. He'd ask you a Kingdom Hearts joke next, and then you'd oh. be lost. <laughs> It's like, well played, sir. Well played. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP. That is our very important poll. And if you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. So this week's question, what is your favorite co-op game of all time? Coming in 
Third place, we have Cuphead with 14.6% of the votes. Second place is It Takes Two with 16.8%. And the winner is Portal 2 with 23.6% of the votes. However, we also had 45% of people vote other. So let's look at some of the comments from the poll. At TDog6685 says, Gears of War with my college roommates after we all had jobs slash grad school lined up and no need to focus on the rest of senior year was by far the greatest co-op experience ever. At Tenshu3379 says, Some of my fondest memories were teaming up with my niece for matches of Rocket League. At Retro Wildlands says, It's recent, but TMNT Shredder's Revenge is just a boatload of fun, backed by some great gameplay and an amazing soundtrack, even better with some drinks. At Nerdy Neo 21 says, My fave game of all time and the co-op I still play a few times a month with my bro, Mass Effect 3. And at NattyD86 says, Halo, but I'm only saying that because we shared a bottle of Jägermeister during the campaign. And a lovely hangover the next day. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine drinking that much straight Jaeger. Right. (laughs) So how did you vote in the poll, Donnie? I went with not really a specific game, but a specific series. And that one is uh, one I'm currently playing right now, which is Diablo 4. So the Diablo series is one that I love teaming up with people, uh, with friends, and just running dungeons, taking down bosses, whether it's Diablo 2, 3, or 4. Uh, that's always a fun time, kind of you know, dying unexpectedly. Like today, I was playing with um, our good friend Hebrew Hammer. We were running a dungeon. I get annihilated out of the blue. And he's just sitting there laughing at me like, uh, oh, dumbass. And he's just running around <laughs> trying to trying to res me while the fight's still going on. And I think he ended up doing that like two or three times. And it's just a great time for me. I actually imagine what he really said was a lot more colorful than that. (laughs) You are not wrong, but I'm keeping it very PG here. (laughs) I appreciate that. I think you're doing him a disservice, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Let's bring him in here so he can, he can (laughs) recover. I do not have that many Yoshi sounds. (laughs) So how did you vote, Ryan? Uh, so I picked other as well. The, the three choices that came out of this were like an article. I've actually looked at a bunch of articles for best co-ops. And these were the ones that came up most often. And I was genuinely surprised to see that it was these three. But hey, whatever. I guess I'm not in games journalism. But uh, to me, a genre that has always been a really good co-op is beat-em-ups. I think beat-em-ups in general, mm-hmm. it's a great way to get involved with a game that doesn't take a whole lot of skill, but it's also super fun. Whether you're the person that's the best player and you're kind of strapping everybody on your back and you know taking them through, or you're the guy who sucks but still steals all the power-ups and all the health potions, <laughs> uh, everyone has a role in a beaten up game. So I think the, the top of the top for me, of course, is Turtles in Time in that. I don't think it gets much better than that. Gameplay itself is really fantastic. Uh, allows you to do special moves. Mode 7 allows you to throw stuff at the screen. It's, it's to me, is a culmination of all the things that I would want out of a beat-em-up. So, right. Turtles in Time gets my vote. Very nice. That's a great choice. What about you, Blue? So, I hate co-op games. I really, really do. So, this was actually an easy answer for me because <laughs> I think the only one that I've really spent any time playing is actually Overcooked. I played that last summer when my sister came to town. So we're sitting around with the family. We don't know what to do. We've long ago run out of things to talk about. 
And somebody says, hey, what do you have on your Switch? I was like, oh, I know. I got a free copy of Overcooked. We should all try that. So we spent most of her visit trying to beat that game. And although we never did beat it because I'm the only one in my family that game. So (laughs) there was, you know, some severe strategy issues. It was still really, really fun. And I imagine next time we all get together for an extended period of time, then, then we'll probably do that again. And Overcooked to me is like the uh, video game equivalent of Uno or Monopoly. Uh, There's winners and losers and everyone hates each other at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Yeah, It's like, damn it, Steve, start chopping the vegetables. Oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Not the onions. You were supposed to chop the mushrooms. What's wrong with you? (laughs) But good choice. I think uh, Overcooked, I've watched a lot of people play that too online. I've never actually played it myself. So I... Because uh, let's be honest with you, it's difficult to do co-op when you're the only person in the house that really games. So Right. See, right. exactly. That's why I don't like co-op games. I don't have anyone to play with usually. <laughs> yep. You feel like you're directing them too much on what to do and it becomes right. tyranny. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm all for tyranny if I'm at the top, but... <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> all right. So why don't we go ahead and shout out our patrons for the week? We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. The Redox PDX family, including Shannon and Luke, Shala Zeal, Zach Huge Thanks, Number One Blue Sick Voice Fan, Sassy Sony, Evo Lust, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Michael Lakite, Emo Esque, Bill Tucker, The Real Retro Game Brews, Fruitcake's Number One Stan, Ducks with Thick Thighs, Zach No Thanks, Pale Green Pants with Nobody Inside Them, Donnie Smoker Friendly Ball Gag Emporium. <laughs> we got one! We got one! Wizard of Zardoz, Bobs and Dugnut, Retro Blast Pat, Great Siaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek With That, Johnny Boombots, Crunchy Kong, Sure Snacks, Frank Grande, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Ramboski, Terry Kinnair, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Hybrid Divide, You Fall Before Me, and last but not least, Davey PGH. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, so why don't we jump into our headlines for the week? Our headline segment is probably sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic family-friendly retro gaming podcast, and in each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Right now, they want to hear your memories of Laserdisc games. Send your answers to email at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. Uh, I actually did a Gaming History 101 on Laserdisc stuff, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll admit that I, outside of like Dragon's Lair, I didn't have right. a whole lot of experience with Laserdisc stuff. It was Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, seeing those right. in the arcades yep. and thinking that the animation was so cool, but after you tried to play them once or twice, you got, no, no, no way, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to burn through my money that fast. Yeah, I want to <laughs> keep my quarters, thank you. Right, exactly. All right, first up tonight from Game Rant, YouTube testing new online gaming service after Google Stadia shutdown. 
YouTube has reportedly started experimenting with a new online gaming service called Playables. This development arrives mere months after Google shut down Stadia, its high-profile moonshot project, which unsuccessfully tried bringing cloud gaming into the mainstream. YouTube recently started testing the service internally, the Wall Street Journal reports, citing an email sent to Google employees inviting them to join Playables. The solution reportedly allows users to instantly play and share a variety of games on desktops, smartphones, and tablets through the YouTube app. Both Android and iOS devices are said to be supported in the ongoing internal test. The size of Playable's experimental game library is unclear, with the newly emerged report mentioning but a single title, Stack Bounce, which tasks players with destroying brick sheets with a bouncing ball. While Google Stadia offered exclusive games, there is currently no indication that Playables intends to do the same. The leaked email revealing the existence of the service contained no information about YouTube's plans for the platform. In a statement provided to Wall Street Journal, a company spokesperson labeled gaming as one of YouTube's long-term focus points that warrants constant experimentation, but declined to comment on Playables. Given that state of affairs, it remains to be seen whether YouTube Playables ends up seeing the light of day. That notwithstanding, its very existence reaffirms that the Stadia shutdown did not spell the end of Google's ambitions in the online gaming space. This was already underlined by an early March report stating that Google is working with publishers on new cloud gaming projects. And next week, YouTube is also coming up with uh, YouTube Shades. It's an augmented reality. <laughs> it's not anything like Google Glass. Don't worry. It's it's something completely new and different, I swear. Right. right. It, it's going to be a very pale, sad version of whatever Google Glass was meant to do. Like, for all its faults, I guess at least Google Stadia had legit games on it. Right. Whereas right. if playables, if this is just some another way to play mobile games... Why on earth does anyone need this? It's mobile games, but on your desktop, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Why would, <laughs> why would anybody need that? Like that stack bounce that they reference, I think that's already available in the Play Store. Isn't it called Breakout? <laughs> <laughs> right. Pretty right. Much. So it's not, it's not even a, a new mobile title, and it's not even a new concept up for a game there's a hundred gazillion games out there just like this and you can play it anywhere so what on earth is this playables thing actually going to do you can play games games (laughs) (laughs) because that's all you have to do right it's like hey games right you're a gamer you play games come here and play this it's Solitaire, Spider Solitaire. Yeah, but it's on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, that was the exact problem that they had with Stadia. They made the service first, didn't bother with the games. And then when nobody showed up, they're like, well, shit, I guess we'll close it down. <laughs> yeah. But this isn't like the first streaming service to come up with games. Like Netflix does that. Netflix has like Trivia Crack and a few other games that, you know, are barely a game. Uh, they're interactive experiences, I guess, is what I would call it. But right. it seems like YouTube at this point is just like, all right, you know what? They've been mildly successful with that. Let's give it a try. Let's do it the Google way. <laughs> I know, granted, this press release did not include a lot of information. We're just speculating at this point. But mm-hmm. to that, it, it, their first game is is basically Breakout, but Breakout 2.0. Mm-hmm. doesn't spell uh, a very promising future for it. I mean, I, I wonder too if Steve Jobs is kind of rolling in his grave because he was one of the people who helped develop Breakout originally for, for the Atari. So now in his Apple idea is his <laughs> launching a Google product. <laughs> the hell you are. It's going to come back as AI. 
and uh, destroy YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> We're not there yet as far as a cloud service offering these types of games. We're, we're almost there. We're on the cusp, especially with, with services like Xbox and PlayStation have, where you can you can subscribe to their service and you can get this game that you can download or you can stream from their server. That is going to be the forefront of what I think YouTube is going to try and do. You need something specific though. You need proprietary content. You need your own stuff, not somebody else's stuff that you bring to your service. Because I, I, if I already have it someplace else, why the hell am I going to go to YouTube to get it? Just because it's YouTube? Yeah, I just like, especially if their focus is just going to be mobile games that you can play on smart devices and desktops and tablets. Why on earth? I know I said it already, but why on earth do we need another way to just do that? You can play those on your phone without going through YouTube. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. So they should make their own first-person shooter. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not to say that YouTube couldn't come up with something. When you take sure. a look back at all of the different video game IPs that we have that are successful, there's a crap ton. But compare those to all of the other games that are out there that are just like, eh. It's like, we're just putting filler out. We're putting filler out. And now you have this lightning in a bottle that comes around every once in a while. It's very rare that YouTube's going to be able to capitalize on that. Right. And, and fads and trends, they change over time. So is YouTube going to consistently try to chase those fads? I mean, if you think about it, I remember like the 90s, every, every console had 40 different fighters, but everybody just played Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, and Tekken. So they didn't care right. about, <laughs> you know, time splitters and all those other ones that were really obscure. But the, the trends change so fast nowadays, right. and most of them are, are games as a service, too. So are you going to be paying a subscription fee? I mean, YouTube has YouTube Premium. Maybe that's it, is that you just pay for YouTube Premium, and you're able to get the season pass for whatever game you want? I don't know. but nah. I mean, I think you made a good point in that games as a service is absolutely something that that YouTube would be into. The problem is, is that Google had game studios. They founded a bunch of studios and poached mm -hmm. a bunch of developers and they had the ball rolling on several projects and then they just shut it all down before it had a chance to materialize with anything. So to me, that says that when they're approaching this, they're not going to be too worried about making their own content. Because sure. as we know, AAA games, they take five, six years to make now. We ah, talked about yes. that a few weeks ago. So they must just be saying, oh, we'll just do these, these dumb little games. And for some reason, people will pay us to play them. And I mean, honestly, YouTube has been bleeding subscribers for a very long time. And even when YouTube got into the space of similar to Twitch, there was initially a big surge of people on YouTube. But everyone that I know that was streaming on YouTube... Uh, went over to Switch or Kick at this point. So really, my guess is this Playables is an attempt to bring back the masses. Yeah, we're going to bring them back with Stack Bounce. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was a good plan. I'm just saying I recognize it. <laughs> yeah, it's a plan. <laughs> Next up from GameSpot, CD Projekt Red says Cyberpunk 2077's launch wasn't that bad? Cyberpunk 2077's launch wasn't nearly as bad as reviews made it out to be, at least according to CD Projekt Red Vice President of Public Relations, Michael Platkow-Gelewski. In a recent interview with GamesIndustry.biz, platkow Galu Okay, they're hyphenating it. <laughs> it was hyphen before. <laughs> yeah, I know. But <laughs> 
Flat Gal Galuski chalked up the game's poor reception to bandwagoning, stating that at some point it became cool to hate the game. I actually believe Cyberpunk on launch was way better than it was received, he said. And even the first reviews were positive. Then it became a cool thing not to like it. We went from hero to zero really fast. That was the tough moment. We didn't know what was happening. In reality, the game was so poorly received, Sony felt compelled to remove it from the PlayStation Store just days after it launched. The game was only added back to Sony's digital storefront after developers spent over six months working to approve the game. But despite his comments, Platkow Galuski did acknowledge that the game had its fair share of issues and assured players that the studio is committed to delivering a quality product, even if the initial showing was rather lackluster. The studio is currently preparing for the launch of Cyberpunk 2077's first DLC, Phantom Liberty, which is set to release on September 26, 2023. The DLC offers the studio a unique opportunity to earn a second chance from players who were initially put off by the game's rocky launch, and CD Projekt Red is taking full advantage of this. For me, as the person responsible for communication, I want to rebuild the connection with gamers because we had people following us for years and they were disappointed in the launch, Platkow Galuski explained. That, for me, is the biggest thing. We have to make the game for them. I appreciate the effort he's putting into this to spin it, but no, the Cyberpunk launch really was that bad. The only way the game was playable, I think, was if you had a high-powered PC rig. Even if you did, there were still a few bugs here and there, but for everybody who only had the, the last-generation console, the PS4 and the Xbox One, the game was horrible, the game couldn't be played, and it's, it's not like you can expect people to go out and spend hundreds of dollars on the new system that, oh, this game was meant to be played on that. So if you're playing it on this older system, well, you're not supposed to be doing it. But we made the game for it anyway, so we can at least get our money. <laughs> According to Statista, it's estimated that Cyberpunk 2077 sold over 13 million copies within its first day of release, making it one of the most successful game launches ever. So this is not a case of a game that sold maybe a handful of units, a couple people didn't like it. And so then it became cool to hate on it by a bunch of people who just wanted to jump on and bandwagon on the hate, mm -hmm. despite having not played it. There were 13 million units out there the first day it launched. A ton of people played it the very first day. And mm -hmm. so if a minority of people had had problems and everybody else had had a great experience and loved the game, then that narrative never would have taken off. But so many of that 13 million had a terrible time or even like, like me when I played it on PS4. It was okay. It wasn't great, but there was enough bugs that I'm like, this isn't very fun. So I had a, a middling time and, and just ended up quitting and never went back to it. So I appreciate that he's trying to spin it as that, no, it wasn't that bad. And now that the game is mostly fixed and that people really enjoy it now, it seems easier to go back and be like, oh yeah, we were totally unfair to Cyberpunk 2077. But no, we were not. Enough people had a terrible experience about it that it deserved the reputation it got when it launched. Sorry, Michael. It's really strange to position it in that way. To say, hey, you know what, everybody, we want to bring you back in because you were one of the haters. But let's be honest, you were just like a bandwagoner, you know, and like undermining their opinion, I guess. Uh, yeah. Right. To say, you know. <laughs> You're an idiot. You should definitely play the new one. We swear. You know, that oh, yeah. that to me is not going to resonate with a whole lot of people who maybe had a bad experience. Oh, well, you know what? I just so happen to be a bandwagoner. That's my identity. I don't see that being a, a big drawing point. So, Michael, I get it. But 
choose your words wisely. <laughs> you could have said something along the lines of, you know, we more or less, we felt the game was more complete, but after we received feedback, we realized that it had a number of issues, but we've been working diligently to fix it, and we've really created a community around it, yada, yada, yada. Not like pointing the finger at everybody else and saying, not our fault, it's you, not us. This is just like the, I'm sorry you feel that way. Right. (laughs) What? Is this is this a strategy now of of game publisher execs where they start blaming their fans for their problems? Exactly. It's your fault for getting hyped about the games that we want you to get hyped about. That was Mad Booty with Microsoft. And Mad then now Booty, we've, got the, <laughs> we've got this guy saying, nah, the, the bad reputation was your fault. It wasn't that bad. You were just being mean. It's almost like he's trying to pull a Mandela effect right. where he's, he's telling you like, it wasn't that bad. Come on. It wasn't that bad. And you know what? It's been a while since that game came out that it's like, I don't really remember the lo- I, me- I remember how people were up in arms about the bugs. I do remember that. So, but maybe he's thinking that a lot of people have the mind of a goldfish and he can come <laughs> out and just kind of weave his hand magic and saying, oh, it wasn't that bad. Diddly do. It wasn't that bad. This isn't the terrible launch you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, he's he's not wrong for a part of that to say that there are games out there that it is popular to hate on. But most of those have some kind of political message or something like that, that the people who aren't playing it but are still being vocal about it, they have a specific agenda that they want to push forward with this. I don't think this is a great way, though, to promote your new DLC for, for a game. <laughs> no. I mean... E.T. is a bandwagon game. It's, yeah, it's notorious go. for being terrible. Everybody loves to make it the butt of jokes, but how many people have actually played it? I never have. I played it. I know you did. And you hated it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think it really was that bad. But yeah. <laughs> to me, a bandwagon game is a game that people have not played but hate mm-hmm. just because that's its reputation. But yeah, like I said, 13 million units in your first day, enough people played it. This, this argument is invalid. Completely agree. And by the way, I'm an ET stan. So, Ooh. knew it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up from VGC Nintendo shareholders meeting disrupted by ranting Splatoon 3 fan. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I saw this headline. I was like, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you were out. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I totally lied. I was just. <laughs> I was <laughs> All right, Nintendo's annual shareholders meeting was reportedly disrupted by a fan who purchased shares specifically to rant at the company's president about Splatoon 3. As first reported by Twitter, user N Styles, who attended the event, the meeting's Q&A session included someone loudly ranting about female characters perceived preferential treatment in the third game when it comes to customization options. Reportedly, the fan was unhappy with the number of customization options available to male characters in Splatoon 3, including the hair styles and emotes compared to those available to female characters. According to N-Styles, the rant continued for some time, causing Nintendo president Shinturo Furukawa, close enough, to interrupt (laughs) the fan and tell him that his question was too long. This was reportedly ignored, and the fan's rant continued. Eventually, he stopped, and Furukawa reportedly replied, thank you for your interest in playing our game. We appreciate your valuable opinion. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bless your heart. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Following the event, Twitter user Haru E. Ka Taco identified themselves as the person who was asking the question. According to the user, they specifically bought 
512,000 yen or $3,570 in Nintendo shares that they could attend at the shareholders meeting and share their complaint. They then shared photos of numerous letters they had sent to Nintendo about the topic previously, claiming that they had got no response and so decided to buy shares in the company to get a chance to raise the issue directly. The incident echoes a similar, though seemingly less intense movement in last year's shareholders meeting with a Nintendo shareholder took the opportunity to ask Nintendo to release a new F-Zero game. At the time, N-Styles noted on Twitter that he was worried that the number of game fans who misunderstand that if you buy stock, you can push your demands to Nintendo will increase from next year. Not only Nintendo, but any any Joe Schmo who has a problem with any company this is going to set a precedence. They're going to say, well, I'll buy $500 worth of stock for this company. Granted, if he, even if it's only one share, I think everybody gets the chance to speak at a shareholders meeting. They're going to start saying, well, now only people with X amount of shares can come in and, and attend these shareholder meetings. And a lot of companies have done that in the past. So it, it, there's like a threshold that you got to have in order to attend a shareholders meeting. But I think you're right that there's a part of that that might silence somebody who genuinely does have a question that is relevant and will help dictate the future of whatever company they're in, you know, owning at that time. I, I wouldn't put it past somebody to max out their credit cards and go bankrupt to buy enough stock just to come in there and say, <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 6 sucks, man. <laughs> you know? The one thing that I will say about this is that the person that does this, they have to have a lot of disposable income uh, or to your point, max out their credit cards and go into debt just so they can get Twitter famous. Like, <laughs> right. But the, the complaint here to me is a really, really benign complaint about this. I can't customize my characters the way I want to. Who cares? It wasn't even that. It was like the female squidlings have more options than the male squidlings. I think you're identifying <laughs> a little too much with the squidlings there, bro. Time to <laughs> dial it back. I'm actually really, really shocked that this was allowed to happen. I mean, if 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 Furukawa says you're taking too long, other people need to speak, shut up, basically, and you just ignore them and talk over them so that you can do your entire rant and you weren't removed from the meeting. But that shit happens in Congress. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I've been in a lot of corporate meetings, and that is a corporate median equivalent of a middle finger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just talking over somebody, not letting them finish. like, uh, I'm going to get my point across. I'm going to say everything I have to say. Uh, I, I hold the floor, damn it. Psychos like this are going to ruin it for everyone. Like you That's were saying, fun. they're not going to allow regular shareholders to speak at these meetings anymore if this continues. Right. And I will, I have that like a, this imagination that in like an alternative universe where uh, there's like an incel podcast out there, they're celebrating this. They love it. They think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened uh, to shareholders. But here in the like real world, <laughs> you basically pouting because a game didn't provide the customization that you wanted just for your gender is insane in yeah. that sense, that you would spend $3,750 to share that opinion and that you've been writing them letters consistently. <laughs> Whoa. <Dedication>. Whoa. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the security at the gates now all have a picture of your face <laughs> and, uh, and are on the lookout for you should you show back up. You're the Splatoon male guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go incognito in this next meeting. <laughs> Put on like a 
Bob Ross wig, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> super <laughs> great. They'll never suspect. <laughs> Bob Ross wig and like a trench coat till you get in there and you like fling it open and you've got like full Splatoon gear. <laughs> it's me, Haru. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so why don't we jump into our top three new releases for the week? All right, first up is Story of Seasons, a wonderful life out on PS5, Xbox Series X and S, Switch, and PC. Put down roots on your new farm in the peaceful town of Forgotten Valley. Forge precious memories as you weave your own generation-spanning tale of friendship, family, and farming. Bring life to the land by cultivating crops and raising animals. Find love among the town's friendly folk and make lasting memories with a family of your very own in this reimagining of a beloved farming classic. Next is Everybody 1-2 Switch out on Switch. Mix up your next get-together with the Everybody 1-2 Switch game. Grab some Joy-Con controllers or a whole bunch of smart devices for team-based games that are easy to set up. Any group size from 2 to 100, yes, 100, can team up and get moving in certain games. Up to 8 players in Joy-Con mode or up to 100 players in smart device mode. And finally, AEW Fight Forever, out on PS5, Xbox Series, SNX, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. AEW Fight Forever combines nostalgic arcade wrestling with all elite wrestling finishers and moves, featuring a big roster of AEW talent, multiple match types, robust career mode, tons of customization options, more than 40 weapons, and so much more. So out of these three, what are you in for, Donnie? Um, I, okay. So story of seasons, I've seen a little bit of the, the game and what it looks like. It doesn't look up my alley. Everybody want to switch. I, I, you know, I'm a sucker for big party games like that. And especially with people uh, from our discord that we can play with and have a good time. This might be something to get into, but I'd have to see what kind of games that they have. You can tell me about it all day long, but until I see how the games play out, I'm still on the fence about it. That leaves us with AEW Fight Forever. I haven't been a big wrestling game fan since the days of WCW versus NWO Revenge and No Mercy on the N64. When I look at this game, it kind of reminds me of the powerhouse that THQ built, although with more polished characters and settings and stuff like that. When I look at the um, the, the health meter, that looks eerily similar to what THQ had. And I wonder if the game is easily playable like those older wrestling games were. So I I don't really know a lot of the, the, the newer wrestlers anymore because I haven't watched wrestling in a long time, but I still do see some some people I recognize like um, Cody Rhodes and, and uh, Chris Jericho and stuff like that. But is that enough to get me to go in and buy this game? Probably not, but I'll at least... Uh, you know, I'll play a demo of it or I'll, I'll at least uh, try to buy it maybe whenever it's like five bucks just to trust it out. So realistically speaking, everybody wants to switch an AEW fight forever. I might consider. All right. What about you, Ryan? Uh, I'm going to agree with stories of seasons with Donnie, a wonderful life. I I don't need Stardew value or, or Stardew value. <laughs> it's the Walmart version. Uh, <laughs> I don't need animal crossing. I don't need harvest moon. None of those games have ever really brought me in and kept my attention for very long. So probably going to skip this one. I'm sure there are plenty of people who love farming Sims. Just not for me. 
Everybody one two switch. Uh, I remember one two switch being a tech demo essentially for the switch when it came out. So hey, why not create another tech demo? I, I mean, yeah, party games. I think it'd be fun, uh, but I'm not buying this for like myself. I'm not going to be sitting at my house playing everybody one two switch. <laughs> the lonely man's game, <laughs> right? So uh, that's a hard pass on me. Now AEW, that's an interesting one. I don't think AEW officially has not had a video game themselves so i think this is the first for AEW, which is huge you know if you're a wrestling fan and you've switched over from wwf to AEW, this is awesome this is probably one of the games you've been anticipating for a while i just haven't been into wrestling since i was a kid so even though yeah some of the wrestling games i used to play back on the playstation were fun and entertaining uh, it's just never been a genre that i've been really into myself so Verdict is a big fad goose egg for me. I'm probably not going to pick up any of these. Now, Ryan, actually, actually, mm-hmm. uh, AEW had a game out in 2021. It was AEW Elite General Manager, a Are you management. Serious? Yes, it's a management simulator. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I forgive Ryan for not knowing about that. <laughs> I'm going to put quotations around the word game then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Blue, what about you? What are you picking this week? Well, uh, not into wrestling, so I'll skip that. Everybody won to Switch. This seems like it's Nintendo's answer to Jackbox games. Ah. It is Mm -hmm. a first-party Nintendo game, but the main problem with it is it's $30. I like the Jackbox games, but... They're, they're like they're really fun for a very brief time, and then they get boring. And then even when you happen to have people online be like, "Hey, let's play something together," it's not very long before nobody wants to go back to the Jackbox games. And this right. would be the exact same way. So no way am I paying thirty dollars for this. I might pay like two dollars for it, maybe. <laughs> and but it's a first party Nintendo game, so <laughs> I kind of doubt it will go down that low. And to your point, when you buy Jackbox games nowadays, you can get like an entire pack for less than $30. They have sales all the time on Steam and even on Switch where you can pick up several different packs, like, you know, one through six for 30 bucks. So yeah, one game for 30. No way. (laughs) So that leaves us with Story of Seasons, A Wonderful Life. Make lasting memories with a family of your very own because you don't have your own family. Like you should ignore <laughs> your existing family. So you can focus on your fake video game family. I don't know. That's how I read it. I'm sure that's not how it's intended, but that's how I read it. I know a lot of people will go nutso over this, but not me. So yeah, I will have nothing. <laughs> Dad, can you come to my soccer game? No, I'm teaching my digital son how to fish. Right. <laughs> you carry like pictures of your digital kids on your phone. <laughs> Daddy, who are those people? Shut up. Over the water cooler and work. Oh, my son did the cutest thing today. Here, look. <laughs> <laughs> how old is he? Well, he's about three days old, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> he'll be leaving the house soon. They grow up so fast. <laughs> All right, so now it's time for our main topic. Microsoft went to court on June 22nd to face the Federal Trade Commission in a five-day case that will determine the future of its $69 billion proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The FTC wants a preliminary injunction granted to prevent Microsoft from closing its deal ahead of a separate legal challenge that's due to commence on August 2nd. Microsoft has until July 18th to try and close its proposed acquisition. Otherwise, 
It has to pay $3 billion in breakup fees to Activision Blizzard or renegotiate new terms. The FTC isn't the only regulator trying to block this deal from happening either. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority decided to block the deal in April, and Microsoft is currently appealing that decision in a case that will commence in late July. However, over the course of the trial, gamers have been treated to an array of insider info that would have normally remained under lock and key. So for our main topic this week, we're looking at a roundup of headlines from the Microsoft FTC trial. So first up is from Sheck News, which is clearly about Shaquille O'Neal. Exactly. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Bobby Kotick says Switch successor will be closer to the to Xbox One or PS4 performance. While Nintendo has incredibly tight-lipped about what comes after the Switch, industry players have spent years theorizing about the upcoming console's hardware and software offerings. During Microsoft's FTC trial, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick was called to the stand. After an email between Bobby Kotick and Nintendo president Shuntaro Furukawa was shown in court, Kotick shared that he expects the next Nintendo console specifications to have closer alignment to the PS4 or Xbox One generation of consoles. Kotick also expressed regret for not bringing Call of Duty games earlier. He stated that Activision had the opportunity to do so, but wasn't confident in the hybrid console prior to its release. Switch went on to become the third best-selling console of all time. It's worth noting that while Bobby Kotick has expectations for the, what the next Nintendo Switch successor power will be, he admits that he does not have the specs. That said, the speculation makes sense. Nintendo consoles have not been on par with the latest Xbox or PlayStation hardware, and the Big N hasn't shown any interest in competing when it comes to hardware fidelity. Yeah, I can't imagine this is actually that big of a surprise to anyone. Oh, absolutely not. No. The one surprise that I got out of this uh, whole thing is like he's basically said, uh, yeah, we didn't think the switch was going to be successful. And then it's four or five years later. (laughs) (laughs) And now he's like, oh, my bad. (laughs) Can you really blame him, though? Because the Wii U did terribly. And the switch was just when you looked at it before launch, it looked like the next iteration of the Wii U. Right. And that was the joke, right? Oh, right. It's, <laughs> it's the portable Wii U. Right. So uh, I, I think you could totally understand where he was coming from. For sure. But I don't see them really rushing to put Call of Duty on on Switch. No. And, and to be honest, the Nintendo hardware has never been up there with any of the like the 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 PlayStation or the Xbox, in in my opinion, at least it hasn't. Well, yeah, since like the N sixty four generation and on, right, right around in there, that was like the only time when the Nintendo sixty four had graphics that kind of rivaled or mirrored, should I should say, right. uh, the PlayStation one. So mm-hmm. uh, the next one, the GameCube. I, Mm-hmm. It, no, it definitely was not up to snuff when it came to no. you know the, the Xbox or the Dreamcast or the PlayStation 2. Definitely not. Right, but, which is no. part of the reason why people laughed at it. Right. And honestly, I don't think with Nintendo doing this, they, they don't have to make a console that, that rivals what Xbox and what Sony are doing as far as uh, graphics are concerned. They know that their console is not geared towards the uh, quote-unquote... Dare I even say hardcore gamer? Because I don't say that because uh, you look at the Switch library. I mean, come on. There are games out there for the hardcore people and the casual people alike. So Mm -hmm. it it is to me, it's a hardcore console. It just doesn't need to have all of those high powered graphics 
to contest with with the Xbox or the, the PlayStation. When I saw this headline floating around online, a lot of the response to it was derogatory. Like they they were laughing at Nintendo, like, oh, look at Nintendo, always 15 years behind in the technology. Oh, the next Switch is going to suck, blah, blah, blah. Nintendo does more with old technology than any other company could even imagine doing. I mean, look at Tears of the Kingdom. It is, as of yesterday, the second best-selling game of 2023. The first best-selling game is Hogwarts Legacy. And Tears of the Kingdom is amazing. It's an amazing game, and it's not you know, super graphically realistic, but that doesn't matter because it's still a beautiful game. It has an art style. It plays amazingly. If Nintendo continues to put out stuff like this, I don't care if they're perpetually a decade or so behind the other companies. Absolutely. And honestly, years, I mean, that's this has been, to your point, Nintendo's MO for even as far back as the 80s. I mean, Gunpei Yokoi was, was famous for the lateral thinking with withered technology, which is like his big, Call to action. That's why I created the Game Boy. It didn't put any freaking color on it. And people loved that thing. It was amazing, right? right? It was a portable Nintendo. So the gamer that's going after Nintendo, it's its its own niche. And you know what? They're doing pretty darn well. So the fact that it's, uh, yeah, 15 years behind, who cares? Your average Nintendo player just isn't concerned about, oh, does this have 120 FPS? Because I don't think I could play anything less than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, next up from IGN, Sony accidentally reveals that Call of Duty is worth $800 million to PlayStation alone. An internal document from Sony revealed a ton of highly confidential information about its PlayStation brand. More specifically, we learned a lot about the Call of Duty revenues for PlayStation platforms alone. The document, which was submitted as evidence for the ongoing trial between the Federal Trade Commission and Microsoft, focuses on a letter sent by PlayStation boss Jim Ryan. The text, which is poorly blacked out and remains readable, mentions how much Call of Duty was worth to PlayStation alone. <laughs> Whoops. Somebody's <laughs> A.Fire. <laughs> Specifically, the widely popular first-person shooter franchise directly generated over $800 million in the United States alone in 2021, according to the document. It's no surprise how popular Call of Duty is, as the most recent installment in the franchise, Modern Warfare 2, became the fastest Call of Duty game to cross the $1 billion sold mark in 2022. But that's not the only thing that the document revealed. We also learned how much two of PlayStation's first-party titles cost. Specifically, the document revealed that Horizon Forbidden West cost $212 million to make, and The Last of Us Part Two had a budget of $220 million. More interestingly, according to Ryan, internal surveys at Sony Interactive Entertainment claim that almost half of U.S.-based PS5 users also own a Nintendo Switch, while less than 20% of PS5 owners in the same country also own an Xbox Series X or Series S console. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> they need somebody to follow around the documents and just go, redacted. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could do that, Blue. <laughs> <laughs> I just interrupt the trial constantly. Redacted. Yeah. Blue's now the <laughs> senior redacted correspondence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now to our senior redacted correspondence, Blue Williams. Blue? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Redacted. <laughs> riveting stuff blue riveting stuff <laughs> so 800 million dollars that's uh that's a small amount of change right kind yes. of <laughs> <laughs> when compared yeah. to 69 69-
billion, maybe not mm-hmm. as much, but now yeah. you wonder why Sony is fighting so hard or th- voicing their opinion so hard that they don't want this acquisition to go through. And to that point is they lose. So the, the scenario that they're looking at is they lose $800 million, right? Basically mm-hmm. uh, in potential revenue. But if of they course. block this, Microsoft loses $3 billion. Uh, and they could care less about that. Right. No, no. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> they want that to happen. Right. So they're, they're trying to sink their competition. So yeah. uh, it's like Monopoly games is what it feels <laughs> like. You know. I think you're actually right because... Uh, according to macro trends, Sony's net worth is $112.47 billion. So $800 million is is just a little drop in that bucket that they stand to lose. But you're right in that this is much more important to Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, and here's, sorry, here's another stat from Tweaktown. PlayStation made $8.8 billion more than Xbox in 2022. So if you got rid of Call of Duty altogether and you didn't have it anymore, you're still making $8 billion more right. than, than Xbox. But still, you crush your competition. You don't just barely win. You grind them into a fine powder. You take them in your hand. You overlook them on the sea and just go and blow them <laughs> into nothing. And that's what Sony's trying to do here. I'm just envisioning like the head of... PlayStation uh, sitting there and like in front of a board meeting and they're like, you know, what, what should we do? And he's like, crush your enemies, see them driven before you and hear the lamentation of Phil Spencer. Conan. Hear the lamentation of Phil Spencer. And next up from The Gamer, just like the Facebook, Jim Ryan says... <laughs> <laughs> Jim Ryan says publishers unanimously hate Xbox Game Pass. It's the fourth day of the Federal Trade Commission's FTC case against Microsoft, and PlayStation boss Jim Ryan is taking the stand. In pre-recorded testimony, Ryan is giving evidence and taking questions from Microsoft's lawyers. He's certainly not holding back either. When the topic of subscription-based gaming is raised, Ryan says other publishers unanimously do not like Xbox Game Pass. He goes on to say that this is a very commonly held view by publishers who find Game Pass to be value destructive rather than a good opportunity to get their games into more hands. I talk to all publishers, says Ryan. They unanimously do not like Game Pass because it's value destructive. In a follow-up question, Ryan also says that he doubts that Activision Blizzard boss Bobby Kotick would put Call of Duty on Game Pass if the acquisition falls apart. Many in the gaming community have long wondered if Game Pass's business model is sustainable. For its part, Microsoft has assured fans that it very much takes Game Pass usage of a game into account, not just its earnings, since it has also admitted that being available on the service harms sales. Most recently, Xbox shared that Redfall was an example of a title performing quite well on Game Pass, despite a negative reception otherwise. It certainly seems that not all titles are doomed on the service, and in this case, can actually be boosted by being available to users who don't have to fork over any extra cash to play. Is that a boost, though? I mean, surely, kind of like we were talking about with Cyberpunk, Redfall is now a game that has a terrible, terrible reputation. And so the fact that you can play it on Game Pass for free and be like, I wonder if it's really this terrible. Let's go play this game and see if it's really this terrible. That's not a boost. That's just morbid curiosity. Mm-hmm. But you're playing the long game, Blue. Hopefully, they'll 
finds your games amusing enough to it to be a it's so bad it's good kind of game so they'll consistently seek out more and more of your games 5 10 15 20 years down the line by being on game pass and you know what if you're playing the long game you always win do you? Do you? <laughs> no. It's <laughs> a terrible, terrible idea. It is. And, and Geek with that, uh, one of our patrons posted in our Discord today, the recent 12 gig Red Vault update I tried out was labeled as an incremental improvement, and they weren't lying about incremental. Ooh. A lot of people are playing Red Vault on Game Pass, but that shouldn't be considered a success. That just means that nobody wanted to pay for the dumb thing. That's it. Yeah, and pretty much. For you as a publisher, that's not the, the audience you want. <laughs> you want people right. who have disposable income that, that can shell out the cash every time you release something uh, because it's under your name. Yeah. Right. You want them to buy the shares of your, of your company and your <laughs> video game. <laughs> Just don't come to the shareholders meetings. <laughs> All right. And I think it should be acknowledged that uh, it's to Jim Ryan's advantage to say that publishers mm-hmm. hate Game Pass. I mean, he may be exaggerating or he may be flat out lying. We don't know. I doubt very much the publishers themselves are really going to come out and speak that blatantly about Microsoft or we'd have heard it by now. But it is easy to believe because it's the same questions that we've asked ourselves many times on this show is, is is it a good deal for publishers? Do they make as much money as they could? And kind of as time has gone on and, and more information has come out, it's starting to look like, eh, no, it's really not a good deal for publishers. Unless it's it's a game like a Power Wash Simulator, which if, if you can get people to try it for free and they actually like it, then it's helpful. Right. And that's a huge if. Yeah. But I will say this. I think it's also posturing in his point to say this because isn't this like the the, the entire... Trial has been the woe is me, and it's the woe is me from Sony and the woe is me from Microsoft. So they've got a painter. They're like, we're so, we're not going to make billions and billions of dollars. So, you know, we'll have to buy a smaller personal jet when we fly out. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to all developers, he said. All. (laughs) Right. His meetings for the day are just flooded. (laughs) I mean, I talk to everybody all the time. Right. His his appointment book is probably managed by that same aide who didn't quite get the blacking out all the way. (laughs) God damn it, Susan. What? I really like the yellow highlighter. You said highlight, right? Not not, <laughs> not black. If I use the Sharpie, nobody can see. So I use the pink <laughs> highlighter. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Leaders Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. Marketing campaigns for games can really be hit or miss. There have been quite a few infamously terrible ideas, but this one was kind of cool. In 2009, Londoners came across a car on the side of the road with a sledgehammer chained to it and were encouraged to smash their way in to grab a copy of what game? Tune into the Leaders podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the Leaders on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. I want to be 
Sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> I think every episode now should include some Peter Gabriel in it. So, oh, God, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, any guesses as to what you think the answer to this week's trivia question is? I looked up, I was like, what? Is it a Street Fighter game? Like, did one of the Street Fighters release around that time? And so I Googled Street Fighter in 2009, and the only thing that came up was the Legend of Chun Li movie. <laughs> so if it's not the legend of chun Li, uh the movie the game then i got nothing the movie the facebook the game <laughs> <laughs> all right so i'll give you a clue this game has a logo with a hammer in it a logo with that <laughs> redacted very good oh redacted is correct is that that that's the logo with the the, the hammer yep Okay. I just threw that Good out job. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, act like you knew it the whole time. Yeah, yeah. To- totally nailed it. Yes, it was totally that one. Sure. I, mm-hmm. I knew that all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very proud of it. All right. Thanks for coming, students. Please take your seat. Welcome back to Professor Rybred's Gaming History 101. And in today's lesson, we'll talk about a recently controversial aspect of game collecting that has its roots as far back as the 1950s, but was only graced the collectible market for the last decade or so. Today's focus will be on the history of graded games and collectibles. I'm sure both of you have some really positive opinions about graded games, don't you? <laughs> I was I was deciding actually whether I should make some sort of pun like, what are we talking about this nonsense for? <laughs> but I, I didn't like it well enough, so I was going to let it go. <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't. I'm really glad that you didn't. <laughs> so to, to really paint the context of this concept of grading, you know, collectible grading itself, uh, you know, depending, of course, on the market has been widely used as a mean for ensuring the authenticity, rarity and condition of an item. And back in the 1950s, one of the most popular collectible markets was that of stamp collecting. However, when something becomes popular and valuable, fakes are sure to follow. So a grading system was developed as well as the inclusion of serial numbers that would ensure collectors that what they were buying was legitimate. Eventually, this led to other types of collectibles seeking similar legitimacy, as fakes were common with coins, sports cards, and a myriad of other hobbyist collectibles. Confidence collectors could have in these markets actually led to a surge in collecting as a result of grading, as buyers knew what they were acquiring was, in fact, the genuine article. If you fast forward to the early 2000s, when an explosion happened in the grading space, more and more grading companies started emerging to address hobbyist markets that were seeing a boom, specifically toys and comic books. One of the most recognized grading companies of today, CGC, or Certified Guarantee Company, was founded in January 4th of 2000 in Persimpity, New Jersey. Now, similar to grading companies of the past, their mission was to seal comic books in a plastic sleeve to promote authenticity, preservation, and prevention of future wear and tear. Now, CGC has been widely seen as the comic book collecting community as reputable third-party grading company that provides fair and honest grading. Which brings up an interesting debate about collecting. You know, when you look at currency and stamp collectors who are involved in the hobby for basically owning and displaying their collections, a stamp coin or currency note can be encased in a protective clear package known as slabbing that allows these collectors to still get the full satisfaction of their collectible. 
When it comes to interactive collectibles, by sealing it off, collectors no longer have the ability to interact with the games, comics, or toys for its intended use. So comics have been able to kind of overcome this issue by releasing comic book collections from official publishers that contain the original artwork in large volumes. Video games have emulation, but it's widely done underground and not by official publishers of the original works, making legality a relatively gray area. And therefore, grading games by some is considered to be antithetical to the nature of owning a game, as many collectors feel games should be played. And it's up to the owner of the game to decide how they want to collect for display, prospecting, or gaming. It's not as cut and dry as collectors of many other hobbies. So that's what makes this whole thing kind of difficult and controversial. But really, that finally brings us to the concept of grading video games. The collectible market for video games has been considered relatively niche until the late 2000s and early 2010s, with the explosion of YouTube collectors providing nostalgic lookbacks at video games past. With a boom in pricing of games happening around the early 2012s, according to PriceCharting.com, which continues to this day. The marketplace has finally caught the eye of auction houses and grading companies looking to cash in on previously ignored marketplaces. So the first company to expand into video game grading happened in 2008, known as VGA, or Video Game Authority. They were a division of AFA, or Action Figure Authority, eventually becoming the company Collectible Grading Authority. <laughs> they really <Jeez>. like authority. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so VGA almost solely works in sealed games. They will occasionally grade loose games that have been considered exceptionally rare or are games that have never had an official packaging like Nintendo World Championships cards or video game prototypes. And they rate games on a 10 to 100 scale. Next major video game grading company to hit the scene was a company called WADA, founded in April of 2018. And uh, that's when they officially started the grading games. They were actually founded in, in 2017. But WADA uses clear plastic acrylic packaging to seal their games and will grade both loose and sealed games that are virtually no restrictions for games that they will grade as long as they are the authentic item. They use the CGC-developed grading system of 0.5 to 10. This choice to stray away from VGA's grading system has caused a lot of controversy among collectors, mostly because the grade of 9.0, according to WADA, is listed as very fine to near mint, while a grading of 75 from VGA carries the same distinction, causing a lot of confusion among collectors. So while VGA has had some controversy for their grading of games, the biggest uproar in the video game collecting community has come from WADA. No surprises there, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm shocked. Shocked to hear this. (laughs) So accusations of conflicts of interest, questionable grading, and insider trading have been lobbied at the company. While collectors have been suspicious of WADA since its inception, on August 23rd, 2021, YouTube sleuth Carl Jobst posted an expose of their business practices, and it caught the retro gaming community by storm. Now, there are two key players in the controversy between WADA, its founder, Dennis Kahn's, and Jim Halperin of Heritage Auctions. Halperin and Kahn have been working together even before the first ever graded game for WADA was even released. 
Prior to their partnership, the record for the most expensive video game ever sold was $30,000 for a mint sticker seal copy of Super Mario Brothers in 2017. That record would soon be crushed by a WADA graded Super Mario Bros. just two years later, selling for $100,000. Purchased in part by Jen Halperim himself at Heritage Auctions. Now, this spike in prices led to a fury of speculative collecting, including members of the WADA staff themselves snatching up sealed games at video game conventions, flea markets, video game stores, etc., and having them graded by WADA and sold by Heritage. It would allegedly appear that Khan and Helperin were involved in an elaborate scheme to manipulate the market for massive profits, buying and selling games for more and more outrageous prices, fetching eventually millions for games that only a few years before were selling for thousands through the process of shill bidding or bidding up an item you're selling to pump up the sale price. Con furthered the demand and prices of these games by appearing on shows like Pawn Stars as an expert and being involved in several press releases after a video game would break records. A mixture of media coverage, accusations of shill bidding, and market manipulation have created a strong spotlight on the company in recent years. Now, needless to say, this is all speculative, but the backlash of people like Jobs has caused a crash in the WADA-graded market, losing up to 50% of their high-water mark value. Video game grading has not disappeared, but is widely considered by the collecting community to be shaky at best or an outright scam at worst. To uh, kind of wrap things up here, you know, grading collectibles start off as a way to prevent fraud and maintain the legitimacy of hobbyist items. Video games are no different, but as we can see in the hands of the wrong stewards, there can always be winners and losers. Consider this a cautionary tale when getting into a potentially speculative marketplace. So thank you for attending today's Gaming History 101. Just a reminder, if you have any ideas for a story you'd like to hear, send us a message at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com, and we might feature your suggestion. Now, I don't have any problems with people mm-hmm. grading games whatsoever. I, the older stuff, no problem with it, right? Because that, that stuff needs to be preserved. Yep. But if you're grading something that just came out five years ago, that's a very common shovelware title. And you're looking to make some some money off that? Don't be a dumbass. <laughs> and I think the biggest problem I just have with it is that the people who are doing these have no interest in the video games itself. They're not hobbyists. They're they're speculative. Right. They're they're investors, if you will. Right. They're owning these items. And you know what's interesting too in my research is that I found out that at the time of the creation of WADA, there was also a fair number of companies that were created to essentially buy shares of a video game collectible. So you would buy whatever the, the, the value price is, you would buy a certain share of it. And then when the game sold, you would make a profit if the game, you know, gave money and value. That to me also seems like kind of a scam. And the fact that it's, it's very fishy that, you know, three of these companies have popped up and a lot of them have seemed to have strong ties with, you know, Dennis Kahn and Jen Halperin as well. So it's not like it's just by pure happenstance. They've been a part of the creation of those kind of spaces too. Yeah. See, for me, when games become more valuable when they're sealed than when they're opened and played and enjoyed, then then we're doing it all wrong. Exactly. I agree. 
All right, so why don't we go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you for listening to episode 79 of Gamers Week Podcast and a big thank you to the Retro Game Club Podcast, the latest podcast and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. Email us at GamersWeekPodcast at gmail.com. Watch us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash gamersweekpodcast. Visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator-spring.com. Or if you want to, (laughs) do it the easy way and follow the link in the show notes. And I I pity anybody who's got me on 2x speed for this podcast. (laughs) Imagine how you blew their minds when you did the micro machine bit. (laughs) What did you say? (laughs) It would have sounded like the sped up part in Spaceballs. There you go. And of course, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. Finally, since you made it all the way to the end of the episode, please leave us a rating or review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And I promise I'll get back to streaming soon. It's just with it being (laughs) summer. Excuses, excuses. (laughs) I think... That you know, we were talking about the fact that there's a breakup fee for three billion dollars oh. from Microsoft. If Donnie doesn't stream. There, there's a breakup fee uh, for our subscribers. <laughs> I gotta pay the subscribe. The subscribers. <laughs> Motivator, isn't it? It's a yeah, yeah. all our lost subscribers because we don't stream enough. I can't go to the hockey game. I'm gonna lose money. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> all right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. scary video game welcome to gamers week uncut welcome to gamers week uncut welcome to gamers week uncut patrons with benefits this is the unscripted patron only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes we don't know where the conversation will go but we're sure it will be weird this fish just went right on my nipple and i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> I Google Street Fighter 6, the first search result that comes up is people think they can see Ryu's d- in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your d- fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> if you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.